to the heart, something that uh, we can apply to our lives. I pray that we go out uh, and apply that to this week. Uh, I thank you for him. I want you to lift him up uh, and speak through him. Um, give us the word that you have for us today. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here on this uh, rainy day. Uh, I uh, know you came this morning probably expecting uh, a final conclusion to this uh, month-long ser- uh, series on Ruth, but you're not going to get that. You're going to have to hang tight for a couple of weeks. It's that cliffhanger ending that just won't come until Pastor Scott comes back from vacation, um, but he should be back up here I believe in August, and so that's when you'll get your conclusion to the series on Ruth. Uh, Today, we're going to take a little uh, detour to the greatest commandment, and most of you are very familiar with that. It's going to be found in Matthew 22, and that's where I was led to to take us, and it, it kind of fits with Ruth. It kind of fits with everything. Because there's this phrase in our passage this morning that says all the law and prophets hang on this command. Basically, when Jesus states that, he's saying everything in the Old Testament, everything that you've learned and you've been taught really has this command as the nucleus of the the story or the teaching. If you don't have this command involved with what's being taught in the Old Testament, then you've missed the point. And uh, so it can really tie in with Ruth, as many of these songs did. We just sung about being redeemed and, and uh, that great redeemer that we see in the Old Testament in Boaz is translated uh, to our New Testament text as Christ comes and redeems us. But Christ the Redeemer came as a very uh, great teacher and he brings the greatest commandment to us this morning. And so if you would, join me as we read this passage in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. And when you've found that in your Bible, I want to invite you to stand. We'll read it, pray, and then you may be seated. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have taken the initiative, the first steps in redemption. Lord, we did not deserve it. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we could do to buy it. But Lord, you chose in your loving mercy to send your son, Jesus Christ, to take our place, to take my place personally on that cross. I deserved that death. I deserved the damnation, the separation from you, and I deserved it for all eternity. But Lord, you were not satisfied with that result and with that ending. And so, Lord, in your great love, you sent your son, you purchased me personally and everybody in this room that has put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, and for that, we worship you. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that we would be open-minded to what you have to say 
that we wouldn't bring a lot of baggage to the scripture this morning, but Lord, we would just let it speak to us plainly, that it would pierce our heart, it would cut us, and that Lord, you would just take out what doesn't need to be there, and that you would put in what does. You would perform a spiritual surgery this morning so that our hearts would be renewed and that we would be made um, more like your son, Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that this morning would be the morning of rebirth for them, that they would understand what it means to lose the heart of stone and to have in its place the heart of flesh, the Holy Spirit that comes and connects human beings who have been separated from God back with their Heavenly Father who made them. And that only comes through their faith in Christ. I pray that you would give a robust faith in Christ this morning as the word of God is proclaimed. And I pray that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary and that you would speak as only you can. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, managed to pick up this little slip as you walked in this morning. I hope you have it. Uh, if not, you'll just have to do some uh, extracurricular reading after the service today. But on this little sermon outline, I have listed uh, the various places where this passage shows up in the Scripture. Uh, and so Jesus, this morning, when he quotes this and he tells this person, this Pharisee, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, he is taking that from a well-known Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In fact, it has its own name uh, in the Hebrew. So if you were talking to a Hebrew person and they mentioned the Shema, that would be what they were referencing. Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 4 and 5 uh, specifically. But in that passage, it states basically what Jesus says with a little bit of difference. And so if you look at that on your, on your passage, in Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It doesn't say mind in the original Old Testament text. Jesus, however, when he quotes it here, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. And at the end of the sermon today, I'm going to talk a little bit about those variations and why uh, Jesus said it like that. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.5 in the Septuagint version. Now, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So sometime during Alexander the Great's expansion, as uh, the Greek world really grew to encompass all of the known world at the time, uh, there was something called Hellenization, where Greek influence and culture spread throughout the land. And as that happened, many of the cultures began to take on Greek customs, Greek language, Greek commerce. Um, it was just the way that the world was. And when that happened, uh, they translated the Old Testament into Greek, and that's called the Septuagint. Um, and in the Septuagint, it reads like this. And it's a very important um, manuscript because... Jesus quotes it a lot. Jesus often will reference the Septuagint rather than the Hebrew version. Not always. Sometimes he uses the Hebrew, but it is a valid source for New Testament uh, believers. And so Deuteronomy 6.5 says, And you will love the Lord your God with all your whole mind 
and from your whole soul and from your whole strength. So not a lot different from the Hebrew version. Uh, the only difference is that word strength and might, obviously, uh, but they basically mean the same thing. So not a lot different. In fact, some of your uh, translations of the Hebrew in Deuteronomy 6.5 may actually say strength instead of might. That's just, uh, those are synonyms, strength and might. Um, then as we read, Matthew 22.37 lists with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Then you get to Mark 12.30. Mark 12.30 is basically this same story in Mark's version of it. And so Mark is right now, Mark is presumed to be um, the first gospel writer. And so this would be the earliest record, written record of this passage. And so Mark 12.30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So he takes what Matthew has said and he elaborates one more, including the Old Testament might or strength, and he tacks that on to the end of it. But mind is still in there, just like it was in Matthew. And then Luke 10, 26 through 27 gives us a little bit of a different picture because in this one, it's not Jesus doing the talking. Jesus is talking to somebody else. Jesus said to him, uh, what is written in the law and how do you read it? He's talking to another person. And that person says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So he basically answers Jesus exactly what Jesus answers the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22. So this is common knowledge. This isn't something new that Jesus is coming up with on the spot. Uh, there seems to be a consensus out there among the, the versed uh, rabbis and scholars of Jesus' day that the very core of the law is bound up and tied to this idea of loving God with everything that you have, with all your heart, with your mind, your soul, and your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, there was a, a rabbi during Jesus' day who was contemporary with Jesus named Hillel. And Hillel was asked by a Gentile who said, I would like to convert to Judaism, but all these laws make my head spin. And I know how they feel. You know, you can, you can ask my wife. I, I've got like three things I can remember. So if she says, hey, go to the store, get the bread, get the milk, boom, done. But if she says, hey, go to the store and park around back because it's going to be closer to what I need. And I want you to go into aisle 15 and I want you to get uh, the dish detergent. But I don't want this dish detergent. I want this kind. And then I want you to go around the corner and go down and get the milk. But I want the whole milk this time. I know we've been getting the 2%, but this time I want the whole milk. And then I want you to go over here and get the meat. But I, I, I don't want the, the ground sausage in the little tight packages. I want the kind with the styrofoam bottom and the you know, plastic over the, okay, I, I'm done. I walk in the store and the whole store starts spinning around and I just lay down in the fetal position and I'm done. <laughs> too many rules, too much instruction. In fact, uh, we've been assembling a lot of those uh, items that come in boxes. You know, we've got a fireplace and we've got, uh, we've got a chair on the way. We've got a bunch of stuff that we've ordered and you've got to assemble it step by step by step by step. I give it to my wife. Say, you do that. Or you tell me what you want, 
one step at a time and I'll do it. But just all the rules. It just doesn't fit my, uh, my personality style. I just don't like it. I, give me a bunch of boards and some nails. I'll make you something. I'll make you something pretty. But I can't do the, the rules. And so that's what this Gentile came to Hillel. Just said, the rules make my head spin. And so he said, if you can tell me what the law is all about while standing on one foot, I'll convert to Judaism. And so Hillel stood on one foot and he basically more or less said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He, he basically gave the golden rule. If you hate something, don't do it to someone else. And he said, that's what it all boils down to. And so I don't know the end of that story. I guess that guy converted. He's a Jew to this day. But... But the fact is, this was common knowledge that loving God and loving neighbor and loving with all that you are was an essential component of the law at this time. So Jesus is not making up something new. He's just elaborating something that is true about uh, Judaism and the Old Testament. Um, There are other places you will find these two items, loving God and loving neighbor, combined together. Uh, like Even outside of Scripture, there is uh, something called the Testament of Isaacar. And uh, in chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 7, verse 6, it says basically, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love neighbor as yourself. There's a Testament of Dan. And uh, same thing in 5.3, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love neighbor as self. These two are combined over and over again in Jewish literature. It is a common theme. So I want to look this morning at these items, heart, soul, mind, strength, and might, and dig in a little bit of what each of those mean. And then hopefully as we look through that, we can bring out some application for us today uh, that we can apply to our lives. And so uh, the Pharisees had come. Jesus already answered the Sadducees. They've asked him questions. Jesus made them look stupid. And so now the Pharisees want a piece. And so they think they're going to trap him um, by getting him to say the wrong answer. They like these open-ended questions, uh, not just a yes or no, but they want to leave it open-ended. So when he's speaking, he might stumble over his words or he might say the wrong thing and they've got him trapped right then and there. And then they can attack. Um, But Jesus is the son of God. He has a divine mind. So it's really hard to make God stumble because God doesn't stumble. And so when they ask him what the greatest command is, Jesus is well-versed. He knows what even Hillel and all these others have said. And Jesus agrees with it. And so he states this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So let's look at heart. You'll notice... um, In the Septuagint version that you've got there, I think I failed to bring this out a minute ago, but in the Septuagint version, in Deuteronomy 6.5, heart is not mentioned. It's not there. It says you'll love the Lord your God from all your whole mind. Okay, And Deuteronomy 6.5 doesn't include mind in the Hebrew version, in the ESV version. I've got it at the top. And so... Jesus here is most likely pulling the word heart from this Hebrew version, and he's quoting it, he's pulling that in, and he's saying, you've you've got to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. In the Hebrew, that's a word, lebab, that can mean uh, heart. Sometimes it's translated mind, sometimes it's translated conscience. So the fact that this word can mean mind 
uh, shows us why the Septuagint has the word mind in there, because heart doesn't always mean what we think that it means in their context. You know, a, a Jewish person would not have connected emotions with the heart like we do. You know, we make, give a Valentine's Day card with a big heart on it, and we say, oh, we heart you. That means love and feelings and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's what we mean by heart. That's not what the Jewish person meant by heart. In fact, if they wanted to uh, communicate emotions, they would say bowels. Think about that on a Valentine's Day card. <laughs> Doesn't mean the same thing to us. But that's where the Jewish emotions sat, in the bowels. And that's why you read the King James Version, and it says his bowels moved for him. Or, you know, it says things like that, and we're like, what? He needs to find a bathroom quick. But that means that they, their emotions were stirred. But the heart isn't always communicating emotion. There may be a time where it's vaguely connected, and that may be here. But often it's tied to the conscience and to the will and to the mental capacity that we have, the thinking. And so that's why often it is translated like that throughout uh, the Old Testament. Uh, in the Greek, when we're looking at Matthew 22 here, the word being used is cardia which, you know, cardiac arrest, you're well familiar with that term. Cardia, the Greek that underlies this word heart that we have in the English. Um, and it is primarily translated heart. So there's no mystery here. When it says heart, it means heart. End of discussion. Uh, Matthew 5.28 gives us a, a different look at this word, cardia. It says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so we have to ask, in his heart, what is he talking about? In, his, in the organ? No, not in the organ. Uh, in, in the passions? Possibly, uh, but probably better in, in his mind and in his uh, determination. He is already internally determined to act in such a way that if, if this woman had given him the opportunity, he would act. Okay, he's already set his will on this object um, of his affections. Matthew 6.21 gives us another look. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Once again, if you're, if you're completely in love with something, there's something that just captivates you, um, your heart will be there, not the organ, Okay, this isn't Davy Jones who cut his heart out and put it in a chest. Not that kind of thing. We're talking more about your, your attention and all of your actions are pointed that direction toward the thing that you love most. Once again, it's very mental, cognitive, um, but also it is, it is a passion in a sense. That is not just emotional, it's both mental and emotional. Uh, one more look, Matthew 9, 4 says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Think evil in your hearts. So we see how cardia is once again tied to the mind and the way that we think. You're thinking evil in your hearts when you're thinking uh, evil things. Okay, and that's what Jesus was drawing that out as people were thinking and not saying things out loud that were evil. Okay, so what is the meaning? What's the meaning of heart then? We look at these different examples and it seems like there's some uh, fluidity 
to the meaning. And that's true. A lot of these words, you find their truest meaning when you put them in the context. And our words in English work that way as well. Okay, we, we can take one word and put it in one sentence and then turn around and use it in another sentence and it means a little bit different uh, than what it meant before. Uh, it's a little different. So the meaning here, I would sum it up like this. It's the internal disposition or volition that you have towards something. And often that's emotionally influenced. Okay, it's internal, your your disposition towards something or volition. That's your will. And that is emotionally influenced. In layman's terms, it's what drives you. What drives you? I would compare it to a motor in a car. The motor in the car is what makes the car go. Okay? Without that, it can look pretty. It can have leather seats and lots of cup holders, but it ain't going anywhere. You need the motor to go. And when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, one of the things I think he's getting across is God and love for him is, is, should be what makes you tick. It should be the thing that drives your movement, that drives your decision making, that drives uh, your behavior in every aspect of life. As Lucas brought out, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. That's why it says all of your heart. Not the Sunday portion of your heart or the Saturday for a Jewish person who, who would worship on the Sabbath. But every day of every week of every year, it should drive you forward is what it means to worship him with all of your heart. If you're not doing that, then that means you have a heart problem. Okay? Have any of you ever had a motor problem in your car? Uh, I've been dealing with an ongoing motor problem in my lawnmower. It's actually transmission, but I'm just going to sum all that up as the internal working components, okay? So we're not getting too technical. Uh, but I had a lawnmower. I went out uh, this spring and went to crank it up, and it started, and it sounded good. I thought, yeah, let's mow some grass. And I pushed down the pedal, and it wouldn't go anywhere. Just sat there running with the perfect hum. I'm like, what in the world's going on? Okay, and so I got some people that know more about vehicles and motors uh, than I do. Um, and we determined transmission is bad. And so uh, we took the whole thing apart. And it, uh, this was a long, drawn-out deal. This was several months of taking apart, filling up, taking apart, filling it back up with fluid, resealing it, all this fun stuff. And uh, then we finally got it to run, except now when you push forward, it goes backwards. <laughs> and when you push backwards, it goes forward. And before any of you start offering me solutions, I, you're wrong, okay? I've done the research, okay? It's not a linkage problem. Um, you know, it, I, it's just, it's got a bad, I, th I think, honestly, they sent me a bad part that has something wrong inside of it. Because we ordered a part and put it in, and it, it's imperfect. Everything is like it should be. No gears are backwards. Okay, I know. We've taken it apart several times to make sure. Uh, but something's wrong in there. Because it's not sending me in the right direction. And if you aren't headed towards God in your daily life, there's something messed up in there. There's something broken. And you need to get it fixed. Because the greatest command, the greatest command is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart. 
It's what drives you. Or another way of saying it, it's our aim. You know, a lot of us are marksmen in one way or another. Maybe it's with your gun. Maybe it's with your bow. Uh, maybe it's with your Frisbee. So, yeah, that's for me. Uh, the Frisbee. You know, I, I've got an aim. And me and Isaac, we've, we've determined that this year, uh, 2020, is the year of disc golfing. We're in a lot of tournaments. I mean, we're, we're jumping from tournament to tournament. We got one Saturday, okay? We're going to be playing in a Girdwood. And when you're in these tournaments, uh, you've got an aim. You, if you don't know what disc golf is, you take a Frisbee and you want to throw it in this cage with chains. Just like in regular golf, you want a ball to go in a hole, you want Frisbee to go in chains. And you want to do it in the fewest amount of throws possible. If you could throw it in there the first throw, you know, 300 feet away, and splash through the chains, then you just do that. You can do that. In fact, if you can do that every time, you need to come talk to me because we can make money together. <laughs> but that's the aim. That's what we're aiming at is the cage. Okay? And so I've been coaching Isaac, who as a seven-year-old has already beaten some adults. I mean, he's getting good. In fact, he almost made a hole-in-one at the last tournament. Um, and so I keep telling him, okay, here's what you want to do to, to, you know, to achieve the goal. And it starts with playing smart golf. And smart golf starts before you ever get on the course. It means you get the right discs in the bag before you leave the house. And, uh, you know, you go to the bathroom before you leave the house. And you bring a drink and you bring a snack. And you get good sleep the night before. And uh, you don't eat the all-you-can-eat buffet late at night the night before. You know, you do all these things. You're thinking. And you wear the right clothes. And you bring backup clothes in case anything were to happen. And, like, hole one, I'm sitting there waiting right before the tournament. And I lean up against a tree. And, uh, lo and behold, I've got, like, sap running down my throwing hand. It's, like, sticky as can be. Uh, and it's like, okay, that's not smart golf. God tells us, you know, that we should lay aside every weight when we're running the race. We should set aside every hindrance. And there are obstacles and things that we've put in our path or allowed to come into our path that are keeping us from our intended target. And so it's no different than in uh, archery or in, in shooting guns or in throwing frisbees or throwing baseballs, whatever it is. You've got to play smart golf and you've got to be intentional in your walk with God. Okay, you're not going to accidentally love God with all your heart. It's not going to happen that way. You need to be in your word. You need to be on your knees, and you need to be in the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters who will encourage you and keep you accountable. And if you don't do those things, you're not going to accidentally wake up one morning loving God with all your heart. You're going to be like my broken lawnmower that moves backwards instead of forwards, even though you are thinking you're trying. But if you don't fix the internal component, you're not going the right way. So this aim, this drive, it's a daily renewal it takes intentionality, and it takes commitment. That's how you get good at anything. And it's no different in the spiritual world. You've got to be committed. You've got to be devoted. You've got to be intentional. And if you do those things, and you put your work in, and you uh, continue to ask God to come and to rework your heart, he'll do that. Okay? It's not like some sports where you can practice and practice and practice and you're just never going to get it. God has promised you that if you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. Okay? If you ask for wisdom, it says in James chapter 1, he will give it. 
It's a promise. And it's a promise from God who cannot lie. The second thing we see is not only do we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, but we need to love Him with all our soul. The word soul shows up in every passage. Okay? It shows up in the Hebrew Deuteronomy. It shows up in the Septuagint version of Deuteronomy, the Greek version. It shows up in Matthew. It shows up in Mark. And it shows up in Luke. So soul is kind of this common denominator that's in all of them. In the Hebrew is a word nephesh. That can be translated soul, it can be translated life, it can be translated person. Um, And we could get really technical and talk about how the Jews viewed the body composition, like what made up a human being, but we won't get into that too much except to say that they believed the soul was what animated the body. You know, the body is nothing, it can't move, it can't think, it can't do anything without the soul. The soul is what comes in and makes the body move. They get that, you go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and there they are, just a lump of clay, and God breathes into them the breath of life, and they become a living soul at that point. And when they die, the soul departs. It's no longer animated. And so soul is this internal thing that animates the body. Um, In the Greek, we get uh, suke or psyche, uh, which, you know, psychologist, We've got that word that comes from this Greek word, which is, once again, going back to the head more than the emotions or anything else. Um, But that is the Greek word that underlies this, and it usually is translated life or soul or mind or heart. Well, that's not helpful at all. You're like taking all our words and combining them, and that's true. These four or five things we're talking about this morning aren't distinct categories that have no overlap. Uh, And Jesus isn't even wanting them to. He's wanting there to be overlap. And as I said, we'll get to that at the very end here. But Matthew 6.25 will give us a way that this word uh, psyche is used in the Greek. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Psyche. Do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life, psyche, more than food, and the body more than clothing. So once again, it'd be like if you replace soul there. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your soul, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not soul more than food, and the body more than clothing. It's the exact same word that's being used in Matthew 22. Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We see in both of these passages so far a distinction. The one thing we know about the soul is that it's different than the body. Then finally, eight. 36 of Mark, it says, yeah, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Okay, gain the whole world, but forfeit your soul, or maybe that would be one that's well translated life, forfeit your life. You gain the whole world, but then you die in the process. Or it could be uh, referencing spiritual death uh, by rendering it soul. Uh, But we see that this word soul is flexible, 
here. And it can be used in different ways depending on the context. In our context, it's put right next to heart. So we have heart and then we have soul. So what is the meaning? And I would venture to say that the meaning of this word is that internal person or maybe even personality. And that internal person or personality should be animated by God. Since the soul is what animates the body, it should be influenced by God. The thing uh, that makes you move and do the things that you do. That character and personality that is inside of you should be defined by who God is and what God wants. Because you are to love the Lord your God with all of your soul. All of your person. All of that personality should be aimed and directed towards him. Uh, personalities are complex. Uh, there's a scientific debate about whether you're predominantly, um, your personality is predominantly composed based on your like, DNA. They would call that nature. You know, by nature, you become a certain way. They've taken identical twins who were separated at birth and have never met each other and live in different homes in different parts of the world. And they do have some similar personality traits that can only be chalked up to their biology. They inherit this type of personality. But yet they have distinctions. And you can take uh, people that were raised in the same home that had different uh, hereditary traits, you know, adoptions from different places in the world, and they will have similar personality traits. So some argue it's more nature, some argue it's more nurture, but most agree that it's nature and nurture. It's kind of a mix of the two. And so personalities can be derived from who we are, how we were born. They can also be derived from what we've experienced in our life. At the end of the day, though, God is saying, regardless of whether it's nurture or nature, that's causing you to stray from me. You need to turn around and love me with all of that personality. No matter what you've been through, no matter what your experience is, no matter how bad you were treated as a child, no matter what neglect or abuse you've been through, no matter if you are filthy rich, you don't feel like you need anything from God because you've got it all together, no matter what the situation in your life is, you are commanded to love the Lord your God with all of that personality and to aim that at Him for His glory. The next one that we want to look at this morning, not only do we have heart and soul, but then I want to look at mind next. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Now, this one, as I've already pointed out, is not found in the Hebrew. When you read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, in the Hebrew version, as you see at the top of your little cheat sheet, uh, it just says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. There's no mention of mind. But as we've already determined, the word uh, heart and the word soul in the Hebrew can be translated as mind. So it's almost like it's implied in the passage because it, it kind of fits in those categories in Jewish thinking. Uh, but in the Greek, we do see the word mind actually uh, explicitly mentioned. In Deuteronomy 6.5, in the Septuagint, we have that. In Matthew 22, we have mind. Mark 12, we have mind. And in Luke 10, we have the word mind show up. 
And so uh, when we are translating that, the word is uh, dianoia, and it can be translated mind, understanding, or thoughts. I mean, this one's pretty clear. This is what's going on in the head. Okay, and so Jesus is telling us the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with everything that's going on in your head. Everything. All of your head space. And that's quite a lofty command for most of us because uh, we're thinkers. We've been trained. You know, ever since the Greeks, people have really become a very rational. Uh, there's a whole movement in history as you study rational. Uh, rationalism and uh, empiricism. We're all about the thinking and the thought. And uh, we've kind of diminished in Western culture uh, the emotions, even though that's kind of made a comeback in uh, the last few years. But we are very much thinking people. And as you're doing your thinking, you have to ask yourself, how much of my headspace have I given to God? How many times do, do my, uh, my thoughts and the, the thinking process, how many times have I removed God from the picture? This is our cognitive activity. And what we set our minds on is what we allow to dominate that thinking space. That's why uh, there's a passage. I didn't put this down. I'm going to turn to it, though. Um, you can if you want Philippians chapter 4. Many of you could probably quote it. I could halfway quote it, botch it, so I'm not going to do that. But Philippians chapter 4, right around verse 8, it says, uh, Oh, <laughs> I thought I was in Philippians. Like, that's not it. That was Colossians. Philippians 4 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, those are the things that you should be putting in your head. I don't know how much of that you're going to find on Fox News. I don't know how much of that you're going to find on Facebook. Um, maybe some, but not a lot. So if that's the thing that dominates your thinking space... I'm going to venture to say you're having a really hard time loving the Lord your God with all of your mind. If it's just day in and day out, that stuff is what you're putting in. And I know all of us are guilty of it. Time We binge on uh, these type of things at certain points, especially election years, especially with COVID-19. And we're trying to keep up with what's going on and what the changes are and how our world's going to crumble and bring in, usher in the second coming, how... Uh, Mandatory face masks are the mark of the beast because you can't buy, sell, or trade without one. Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, if I don't have a face mask and every store closes down to non-face masks, are they going to allow me to buy a face mask so I can come in, or am I just stuck outside the store for eternity? I don't know. These are the thoughts going through my mind, which means I'm not loving the Lord with all my mind because God wasn't in that. Um, but our thinking should include Christ and His will, God and what He has done in salvation. And as you've heard the, the old adage, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest there. Okay, Thoughts are going to pop in your head. You're not always going to be able to control that, but you can control whether you dwell on them or not. Okay, And your dwelling 
on God should be your intention. That's where you should spend your time meditating and thinking. And any time that a thought pops in your head, you need to bring God into the equation if you can. And that's what it means to love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. The next thing we see, and I'm kind of combining these two together, is might and strength. This is our last one. Um, might is only translated in the ESV in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.5, in the Hebrew. Uh, but as I already said, might and strength are interchangeable, so they just could have well said strength. So there's not a lot of difference here. That's why I'm combining these into one. Um, in the Hebrew, this is the word mayod, sometimes translated might, sometimes translated strength. In the Septuagint, though, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.5, we have the word uh, dunamis or dynamis, where we get dynamite. You know, so we're talking about might and strength. Dynamite's pretty strong. Dynamite's pretty powerful. Um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel Lucas brought up because it is the power of God unto salvation. The word power in that passage is the same word, uh, dunamis, dynamis. It is the power, the strength, the might of God. The might of God is in Christ Jesus and, and our faith in him. That's the power of salvation, is Christ. And so you're not going to find that kind of power anywhere else. And so what God has required of us, what he has commanded us, is that we love the Lord our God with all of our strength and all of our might. Uh, in the other passages, uh, in like Luke 10, uh, the word is not dynamis, but uh, iskis different word, but still is translated might, strength, power, and ability. We have the ability in English to, to substitute words back and forth with no big intention of changing the meaning. I don't think they're doing anything different here, uh, so you don't have to look. Some people make big deals out of different Greek words, and they try to like write 35 volumes on why this guy used dynamis, and this guy used discus, and it, it's just it's two different ways of saying power, strength, might. Okay, don't make a big deal out of it. Um, you're probably saying, you don't make a big deal out of it. Okay, I'm done making a big deal out of it. <laughs> you wouldn't even known to make a big deal out of it had I not told you, right? So what does this mean? What are these words meaning? When the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your might, and all that stuff, what is it saying? It's saying with all your gusto, with everything that you have. You know, you've heard people that are about to get on the basketball court or the football field, and the coach tells them to play their heart out. You know, give it all that you've got. Lay it all on the field. Put everything on the line. That's what God is saying to you. In this spiritual battle, he's saying, give it everything. It, if we're going to use a theological term to describe this, we would say perseverance and endurance to the end. That's what we're seeking uh, in this passage. To love the Lord your God with everything that you possibly have with no end in sight. You're not going to give up. You're not going to tire out. You're not going to break down. You're not going to retire from this endeavor. You are going to love God until the end, until he takes you home to glory. Can you do that with all of your strength? All right, so it says, it says these things, and we've gone over some of the differences. So why are there differences in these words? Why do some include mind, some include might, some include strength? Uh, why are there different versions? If one of these versions, the true inspired scripture and the rest of them are wrong, well, they're all in our Bible and Jesus quotes 
uh, different ones. Matthew gives us one version. Mark gives us another version. Jesus probably had this conversation multiple times, and he may have taught it uh, differently in each situation. Because Jesus, if you look at the life of Jesus and you look at what he was, he was a rabbi. He was a rabbi to his followers. That's why he had disciples. If you had disciples, you were a rabbi. And often disciples would follow a rabbi around for several years and they would learn from him. And then they would go to another rabbi and they would follow them around for several years until they themselves became rabbis themselves. But Jesus here is the rabbi to these 12 disciples. And one of the uh, goals of a rabbi is to take the Torah, the Old Testament, especially the first five books of the Old Testament, but really the entire Old Testament, and to elaborate on it and to make it relevant in the world that they lived in. Because just like we live in a changing world, they lived in a changing world. Some of the things they said in the Old Testament text during Moses' day, the rabbis of Jesus' day were complex. They didn't understand it. That's why the Sadducees existed and the Pharisees existed. There were these different groups that thought differently about the Old Testament. And uh, so that's why they would bring tough questions uh, to Jesus. One of them was like the question on divorce. You know, the Bible in the Old Testament said that they could, you know, give a written uh, divorce decree to the wife for such and such reason. And they couldn't understand what the reason was because it was pretty ambiguous in the, in the Hebrew. And so some rabbis said you can divorce uh, your wife for any reason. For any reason. The, the word used almost lends it to say for any reason. So if she didn't cook your meal right, get rid of her. Or uh, the, the more liberal uh, rabbis had the view that if she was not pleasing to your sight, because that's kind of the exact translation, uh, it meant that if she wasn't pretty anymore, if you found someone prettier to marry, you divorce that one and you go to the prettier one. And you just keep working your way up and hope that she doesn't return the favor, okay? Uh, that is the idea. The rabbis had the ability, uh, or uh, not the ability, but the, the necessity to expound upon the Old Testament, just like I'm doing right now. I'm giving you what I believe to be the clear teaching of Scripture. And these rabbis were doing the same with their disciples. Jesus was a rabbi, and so he was taking this Old Testament text, and he was bringing a, a relevant version of it to his disciples okay and so he chooses to focus on heart soul and mind and strength in the other passage because mind has become very important to this first century uh, church to the first century disciples here because the greek influence has spread and the greeks were all about the mind and so they were already becoming more mentally focused people. And so Jesus brings out the mind. I think if Jesus showed up here today and he was going to preach the sermon and he was going to tell you how to love the Lord your God, it would look different. It would still mean the same thing because at the end of the day, what he's saying, heart, soul, and mind, and strength, what he's saying is you need to love God with everything that you are, everything that you have, everything that you could be. That's what you need to do. That's the heart of the commands. And so how do you get that across to your people? And I think if he were to show up today, he'd say, you need to love the Lord with all of your calendar, all of your wallet, and all of, uh, all of your, he would go to mind as well, all of your thinking, 
all of your activity, all of your energy. I think that's what he'd have to say to a Western uh, church in the summer in Alaska. Everything that you are, you need to be loving God. That doesn't mean you're living in the church 24-7. It doesn't mean that you've never left the scripture, that at all times you're walking around like this, you're driving down the road. You know, that's not what it means but it does mean that you have open dialogue with God in all things. It means that you're reflecting on the scripture in everything that you do. It means you're consulting with God when you don't intuitively know the Christian next step. And you're seeking that wisdom from him at all times. And so if that's out on the fishing boat, so be it. If that's out on the golf course, so be it. If that's uh, around a barbecue, okay, that's fine. But don't lie to yourself. And say, yeah, I'm doing this for God. I'm being godly in this um, because I, I have the freedom to do these things. You need to make sure. You need to check yourself and say, am I honoring God and loving God with all that I am, all that I have, all that I do? I'm going to finish with this. Martin Luther said, if to love God with all one's heart and mind, and soul, and strength is the greatest command, then the greatest transgression is to fail to love God with all one's heart, mind, soul, and strength. And honestly, if we're being honest, how many of us have loved God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and all of our strength at every moment already today. I mean, if we did the show of hands, I, I, I'm going to have to say that every hand's going to be raised. That no, you know, there have been moments today already that I didn't love him with all of those things. Maybe 80% of those things, but not all of those things. Uh, or maybe I, I, I did love him with all my heart and soul, but I, I failed on the mind thing. I got caught up in the news again. You know, maybe that's where you are. And you look back at every day of your life since you've been a Christian, and it's the same story. I didn't love God with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength yesterday. And I didn't love him every hour of every day the day before. I didn't love him with all of that every hour of every day the day before that, the week before that, the month before that. And then we look at ourselves and we say every single day of our lives, most of the day, we are committing the greatest transgression. That means the biggest sin that you can possibly commit every day. And at that point, you fall at the feet of God and thank Him for His grace and mercy. Because I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. He is a good God, a good Father, who gave a Son who did that every day. Can you believe it? Every single day. The greatest command he was living out with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Just so he could go to a cross and die for you. Who were incapable and unwilling to do the same. Me included. Let's respond to Jesus. As we uh, go to the Lord in prayer, let's pray together. And as our musicians come forward for the invitation, this is your opportunity uh, to respond. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our time together. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for